Welcome to Dragon Talk. That wasn't a good one. Yeah, no, bring it up. You're immediately being like, no. Nope, <laughs> That's not nope. it. That, I don't feel welcome to Dragon Talk. <clears throat> mm. Me, me, me. Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah, no, that's better. No, no, that's good either. Right, ready? Why don't you do it? You do it. Yeah, you, you're No, I was like, taking a deep breath for you. For me. Welcome to <laughs> Dragon Talk. Works. That was good. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. It had a very good fantasy. There was element. like a fanfare for yep. that. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I'm Shelley Mazanoble, and we are your co-hosts for the next, you know, ninety-five minutes for you. Yeah, four years. <laughs> the next four years, our contracts hey, are going to be up. Speaking of, do you know what episode number we're on? No. Oh. Then episode numbers were hard because it was like, when do we start that numbering process? Because this podcast, uh, I don't know if everyone who's listening now knows this, but this was the official feed for uh, when Acquisitions Incorporated began their podcast way back in the day. And then you and Bart uh, did a lot of stuff. Jeremy Crawford and Mike Merles did episodes. And so it was really hard to kind of figure out where to begin. I think you being, we should find the very first one that you were on and count them up. And then have like big anniversary parties. I know. People do that now. I noticed that, like, uh, Comedy Bang Bang, for example, just had their 1,000th episode uh, celebration. I mean, if you go back to the originals of what Dragon Talk was, yeah. it's probably, it's been going on for years. So let's just say, like, this is 1,000. Like, this is number 1,000 yeah, right here, and we'll start numbering from there. Next week, Hastavis, we have time to plan the party. Okay, next one. Next right. one. Okay, now we're, like, 9995. Yep. Right. Oh. Okay. okay, and so we'll do our party well, we can actually do it. We can make it up. It's fantasy. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because numbers are different in the Forgotten Realms. Exactly. Did we, you know that? Uh, they, now you know. They number podcasts differently in the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, all right. This yeah. is all, I like it. This 100%. Fantasy. It's your game. Uh, so speaking of things that we just make up and then become reality... D&D Live 2019 The Descent yes. came out of our brains and is going to be a real thing very soon. Based on... An award-winning stream. Multi-award-winning. Multi-award-winning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so, yeah, the Stream of Many Eyes was uh, tons of fun, great success. Uh, that built off of Stream of Annihilation, which built yes. off of D&D Live from Meltdown uh, mm-hmm. all the way back in the day when we introduced uh, Storm King's Thunder. Do you remember all that? Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've been going crazier and building and making these events larger and more in charger. Wait, that's, yeah. That's not how... They're larger. You're more in charger, <laughs> right? No, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Sure, that's okay. that's that's what's happening. Uh, it has been crazy putting all this together. We're excited, uh, and let me tell you all about it right now. Okay, <laughs> starts on May seventeenth. Uh, we have live programming beginning on um, two p.m. Pacific time. It will be on uh, this channel, Twitch.tv slash DND, as well as every other channel that Dungeons & Dragons controlled, including uh, Facebook Live, Twitter Video, YouTube Gaming. No way. Uh, It'll be uh, streaming on on Steam. Uh, All of the many, many channels uh, we will be broadcasting live, starting with a very special live stream Game performance by uh, Deborah Ann Wall, who is our guest. She's kicking things off? In the interview section, yes. Uh, she's kicking things off. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it'll have her main cast. We're still going to add potentially another uh, a special guest to her cast, but we're really excited about that, and we'll talk about uh, all of that with her as well yes. as what it was like uh, creating that show for Geek and Sundry and uh, all the fun stuff involved there. Um, then at 4 p.m. Pacific time, uh, we got the D&D team talking about the new adventure. 
uh, that we are uh, basing this whole crazy event around. Can't wait. We'll also be talking about some uh, crazy products. I keep using the word crazy. Uh, many, many, crazy many Eddie. different products that uh, some of which Shelly is working on. You will actually be on that live stream. You Am know I? that, right? I mean, you know my flight gets in like right around then. Oh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> Uh, so you're scheduled in there. You're fine. I'm scheduled. No, don't. As I was saying I'm that, I'm sorry, like. sorry, it came out. It I'm, came out. I'm giving the update and someone's going to do that. Um, we love. But yeah, I think I'm going to be there. You're going to be there and uh, we'll talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. Maybe even something uh, along the lines of these uh, actual books that we have in here, which are the Young Adventurer's Guides. We actually got the real Hot proofs the just recently. And yeah. we'll be talking about uh, the two other ones of those uh, that are scheduled for this fall. Scheduled for this fall. Um, as well as, I mean, I, I can't even, there's so many hints of things that I want to drop, but I'll leave that to Nathan and his spoilers show. Is he going to have um, another one before the live event? Uh, I don't think he no, will. I don't think he will. No. You're right. So I'll spoil so it all I want. It. Following all of those wonderful insights into the D&D products that are coming out this year is a live show on that main stage in front of, you know, 300 fans in the live studio audience. And then all the people that are watching online, a four part uh, story that is going to be led by Jeremy Crawford. He'll start it off. Kate Welch, <gasps> Marisha Ray is dungeon mastering, and Chris Perkins is dungeon mastering. Oh my all God. four of those amazing performers in all of those casts, including Joe Manganiello, Matthew Lillard, uh, Malik Forte, Mika Burton. Uh, these are just num- the names that are coming off the top of my head. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. whoa. Um, uh, Satine Phoenix will be uh, performing. Uh, uh, folks from the Adventure Zone, Travis McElroy and Clint McElroy will be performing. Patrick Rothfuss will be what? part of it. Jerry Holkins from Acquisitions Incorporated will be playing his character as Omen Drawn in this storyline. Gosh, I'm forgetting so many, but they're they're all going to be amazing. This and is great. I'm using the word. I know, right? Crazy. Schedule really is, is up right now on dnd.wizards.com slash dndlive2019. All the information is up there. And I'm I haven't so even gotten to what's happening in the studio pods yet on Saturday and Sunday. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, Eddie. We've got groups like uh, Rivals of Waterdeep, High Rollers, and Kate Welch will be a performer in those. All right, no, going back to the studio pods. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, so many. Um, you know what? I actually do have it all in here for us. So I don't have to worry about forgetting. That's why I have my laptop in the front of me, interwebs. people. That's what it's for. Is Kate going to be Rosie? She's uh, bringing her Rosie? She will be cool. as Rosie in addition to, in addition to being um, uh, a dungeon master. I know, that's... Nutty. Nutty, right? Use a different word. <laughs> We've got synonyms. Uh, Christina Ariel is going to be in the main stage. I forgot to mention her. Uh, and of course, Deborah Ann Wall and Deborah Ann Wall will be in that main stage as well as Matthew Mercer and Talison Jaffe from Critical Role Hi-ya. and Jim Zub. He will be playing Jim a very special, Zub. very special character. That uh, if I tell you the name of I that know. character, it will. Uh, clue you in too much Yet. as to what this uh, adventure storyline is going to be all about. Um, but then uh, in from the studio pods, I'm talking fast because I'm full of coffee and I need to get this all out before <laughs> before we end. Uh, so we've got everything going on in D&D Beyond's uh, own studio pod. Todd Talks is going to be there. They're going to do dev updates. Heroes of the Veil will be in there. Rivals of Waterdeep. Um, some special content uh, as well as high rollers and uh, role play roulette. Uh, then the podcast folks, which I'm super excited. So many uh, people who create live play podcasts are going to be involved with this event, including the One Shot Network, Taking Initiative, D&D is for Nerds, Venture Maidens, Drunks and Dragons, D20 Dames, Dungeon Drunks, and the Cocktail Crew. 
Whoa, who's the cocktail crew? The cocktail crew, I was confused, but now I know, is a mixture of a lot of the podcast uh, uh, folks. Oh, uh, who clever. Are, they just came up with that as being like, oh, that's our, you know, other than saying, Very I, think misleading. I, I think at one point I just said it was like a grab bag uh, of people rather than saying that. They're the cocktail crew. Well, I mean, it's good you told me that, otherwise I probably would have been following them around all weekend. <laughs> I think you're an honorary member of the cocktail crew. I'd like a cocktail. <laughs> it's be- better than the breakfast club, I guess. Unless you have cocktails uh, for breakfast. Then Shelly and I are going to be doing Dragon Talk uh, yeah. live. So we'll be, that's why I'm going. That's why you're going to be there. Well, there's many reasons why you're going to be there because it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be a great panel uh, led by uh, Tanya DePass called uh, Role for Inclusion. Actors Incorporated, the C Team. Dragon Friends are coming all the way from Australia. They're going to be there. The Saving Throw Show will be there. WebDM, a wonderful YouTube channel, is going to be there. All of these people are actually going to be there. Yes. Physically in the place. The Broken Pact, uh, Ruben Bressler's uh, team of folks from the uh, Saving Throw show is going to be doing stuff. Uh, Simons of the Realms, Tales from the Mists, Enter the Darkness, which is another kind of uh, a grab bag group uh, with an awesome name led by uh, Dale Rick, uh, the DM there with some uh, wonderful talent that uh, I'm excited to meet because I've been following them all for a long time. Uncommon Trust, which is led by B. Dave Walters. Monsters and Fables, which is led by T.J. Storm. Uh, That's an interesting thing. We'll be showing off videos of that in the next uh, few things. And then Nerd Poker is going to be doing a live stream. They're going to be there? They are going to physically be there. We're going to meet them for reals. We're going to meet them for reals. Uh, yes, Dan Telfer is uh, amazing. I can't wait for. I kind of feel like we've met him because we've talked to him. Exactly, a couple of times we've talked to show, him. I saw him at Stream of really Many Eyes, uh, and I haven't met him. Dan Telfer is going to be uh, doing the emceeing for the Sunday night concert, mm-hmm. celebrating the end. Uh, all of the community of Dungeons and Dragons, tons of great. Performers are going to be involved in that. It's a talent show. It's like a talent show, right? Including the library bards. Chris Funk put all of this music together. He's the guitarist from the Decemberists, a huge gamer in his own right. Uh, Jason Charles Miller, the Mountain Goats, Cardioid is going to be the house band there for everything. Uh, and it's going to be closing it out by a group called the Magic Sword. Uh, which is kind of like a techno fantasy EDM group that My are God. amazing and they have lighting effects. I can't wait to have it all. There uh, is so happen. much. That's it. Cosplay. A lot of cosplay. Are you going in cosplay? Yeah. Flapper. Or, or, oh. oh, no, we could be, we could be Drunky Two Shoes uh, and uh, right. uh, Daryl Two Shoes. faces painted. That's right. We'll get some, uh, get some, some, kitty ears. some cat paint. Yeah. I like it. All right. That's D&D Live 2019, The Descent. We just announced Whoa. all of those details. Uh, again, go to uh, dnd.wizards.com slash dndlive2019 for all that information. I'm using hand gestures because I am very excited. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited. <sighs> Let's talk about uh, these books. We just got yeah, them here. Uh, just swiped them right off of the The Young Adventurer's Guides uh, are coming from 10-speed pressed uh, they were kind of headed up by. Um, oh yeah, you can, you can it, actually. Can we can do like like we're real, uh, you know, talk show hosts. Like, like here we go. Like Hoda. Like Hoda, just like Hoda. Just that's, like Hoda. I like that. That's where you went to for well, like. There's no more Kathy Lee. Do you know they're not together anymore? <laughs> Kathy Lee quit. Wow. What is that? What does that mean for us? Whatever. What does that mean for us? I mean, well, we have like sixty years. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're well, good. Yeah, nice. Uh, we'll get Regis uh, and uh, and Hoda back together. Again. <laughs> We're never together, but whatever. But but they should be now. Oh, you can 
That was my Regis impression. That was really good. good? Uh, Anywho, these uh, are amazing books. They're in a small form. Oh, that is a good-looking Albar. Albar. They have all new artwork throughout them. That was something that when we talked to Jim Zub about it, he was very adamant uh, about having it not just be pickup art from previous uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, uh, you know, books and materials, but brand new art, new conceptions of things that we think young readers uh, would enjoy. Now, these are not necessarily just for young readers, but they are written with young readers in mind. uh, And it's a way to get them uh, up to speed on D&D concepts, basically. Uh, there's four of these that have been announced. The first Ooh. two, Warriors and Weapons, and what's the one that you have? I have, I, sorry, I was so absorbed you're in so, the book. You're just like going to read it. <laughs> Monsters and Creatures. Nice. Which I uh, like the layout of this. I'll just look at the Flump page. Uh, so you have information about Ooh. Flump. And then it tells you That's things. a good looking flump. What to do should you encounter. All of the monsters are laid out this way. So you get a little info about the flump, and then it says do this. Let them into your head. Flumps can't speak, but they can share secrets and warnings via telepathy. I'm doing that right now. You got a flump in your head. <gasps> I was just saying, I like you, Shelley, and Don't. you do good work. Oh, let me use my flump to talk back to you. I do not smell like poop. Oh, that must be the flump. <laughs> dungeons are stinky and oh, don't don't do this. Don't frighten them. Dungeons are stinky enough without being coated with a flump stench spray. Mm-hmm. So. I love it. I cannot wait to read this whole book. These two books are out on July 16th. There are two more coming in the fall, Dungeons and Tombs and Wizards and Spells, and I'm hoping to be able to talk more about those at D&D Live. Yes, these are they're such good books. They're so very very This is the first time we've had them able to be opened uh, and all that stuff, which is why we love doing uh, this on the home. live stream. It's good I stuff. Tried. You tried? You're like, I can just put this, no one Hillary. will know. Yeah. Tito accidentally brought your books home. Sorry. They're already read. We can give them back like it's a library. Yeah. Um, wh- do you have any other fun stuff you want to talk, talk about? before? can't oh, right. Well, you, maybe we'll find out at D&D Live. You'll find out a couple of things. couple of things. I'm so excited about all of those things. Yeah. It's going to be great. There's one that's, oh. Okay. I can't. I, I feel it. I feel it coming out of, oh, your flump, flump just told me. <laughs> Let me flump you all. I'm going to flump to you who are right? listening to it's this so right good. now. What? Oh. Flumps. Are Great excited. stuff. Uh, again, want everybody to be paying attention to what's happening at D&D Live. You won't be disappointed with no. the amount of news as well as the entertainment that will be going on. Tell your friends, uh, you know, tell, tell your family, in. tell your enemies. Watch everything that's happening uh, because it's going to be worthwhile. And Greg worked really hard I on worked that. really hard on it and I need people to watch it or else I'll get upset. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get in trouble. We'll get in trouble because we're spending too much money on it. <laughs> and if it's not worthwhile, they're going to be mad. <laughs> they're going to get real mad. They're going to get real mad. Wow. Uh, but it is. It's, it's always a huge labor of love putting this all together. The community uh, is, is, I mean, that's, that's the aspect that I love about it is that so many uh, folks from different backgrounds and different areas mm-hmm. of the country and the world come together and just celebrate what it's like to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's all with the you know, through, focus through the lens of this new adventure and, and how people get excited about that. But it, to me, it's really just about the D&D community and, and uh, showcasing that for the world. Yes. Um, so you're gonna, it's going to be the first one you're, you've been able to attend, yeah. right? Well, you went to Stream of Annihilation. Of, yeah. um, Briefly, yeah. in and out. You're going to have a happiness hangover. I know. It's going to be a thing. I really can't wait. Uh, in addition to actual hangovers. <laughs> Probably that. I'm going to cocktail crew. I'm coming for you. <laughs> 
all right. We're going to get to our uh, segment. Uh, I believe we are talking to Chris Perkins about some lore you should know. Uh, and then we'll come back with our interview with Deborah Ann Wall. Yes. Dungeon Master of Relics and Rarities and performer at D&D Live 2019 The Descent. Can't wait. We're going to talk to her soon. Great. Segment time. Bings, bongs, bongs, bings, bings, bongs. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito and I am joined by Mr. Chris Bergens. Greetings. And on this segment where we get into little bits of D&D lore, bits and bobs as we like to say, mm-hmm. uh, for you to know or maybe use in your game, we are going to talk about the uh, the hierarchy of those in charge of uh, a settlement uh, on the Sword Coast, Baldur's Gate. Indeed. Uh, we've talked about Waterdeep a lot in the past, as well mm-hmm. as Luskin and Neverwinter, uh, but we haven't talked a lot about uh, Baldur's Gate. It is true, and, and Baldur's Gate is popular with the video game players. That's true, yes. Yeah. Kate Welch is now playing on That's right. uh, Welch's Game Juice through uh, Baldur's Gate 2, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. uh, which is very exciting. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, for a lot of people, uh, including uh, our president Chris Cox, it was they're they're into the D and D lore. Yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, let's let's dive into that lore a little bit. Absolutely. So Baldur's Gate, uh, which is indeed on the Sword Coast, uh, it's south of Waterdeep, but north of the nations of Tithir, Amun, and Kalimshan, and it's kind of in a pretty cool place because not only do you have the sea trade, but it's right on the river Chianthar, which heads inland toward the inner sea. And there's a bunch of settlements over in that way too. Right. Uh, And so a lot of activity happens here. Now, uh, Baldur's Gate started off as just this misty little trade town used by pirates and other traders kind of off the grid, Mm. but has grown up into a full-blown city. Um, with a wall built around the original town, which has since grown into what's called the upper city. Mm-hmm. And then expansive areas around that leading down toward the river, which is now called the lower city. And that too is now walled in. So there's like two walls in the city, the outer wall and the inner wall, or the, the, the upper city wall and the lower city wall, if you will. Okay. And then there's a sprawl outside the city where the slums are. The, I see. And... and Water, uh, Waterdeep. Uh, Baldur's Gate has attracted more than its fair share of refugees and um, other sorts from other places over the years and just sort of collected them in these outer city um, neighborhoods. But I digress. Were the, Where, were the walls you know, used for defense? I mean, has, has it been oh, yes. under siege a bunch? Um, actually, it, it's r- very rarely come under attack. I think Waterdeep's been attacked more than Baldur's Gate has. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so uh, it hasn't... But uh, the, like the walls have never been cast down and the place had to be rebuilt or the city's never burned down and had to be rebuilt okay. as far as I know. Um, but it's, these walls are quite old, particularly the inner one. I see. Um, and is riddled with holes and places where it needs, really needs to be repaired. Okay. Um, but here's the interesting thing about Baldur's Gate, the thing that sets it apart from all the other cities of the north um, and the western heartlands, and that is it is a bloody murderous place. Mm. It is a dangerous, dangerous place. Law it's, and order is not it, the name it, of the game. It's The city has four dukes that preside over it. They're called the Council of Four. There is a Grand Duke and then three other dukes. 
if they have to vote on matters, the Grand Duke's vote counts as two. Got it. So that's how the ties are Tie broken. Breaker. And then uh, the, the next group in the city in terms of the government is called the Parliament of Peers. And what it's mostly made up of are residents, particularly the wealthy residents in the city, mm-hmm. the money, mm-hmm. basically. And nobles in Baldur's Gate carry a special name. They're known as patriarchs. Uh, it has nothing to do with uh, gender, even though it sounds like patriarch. Mm. Um, there are male, female, and other patriarchs. Got it. And, uh, but this, this council basically weighs on matters. This parliament appears, weighs on matters, and then elevates it to the dukes for sort of the final judgment. Uh, and of course, since the government is basically controlled by the rich... There is a huge divide between mm. the rich and the poor in Baldur's Gate. The rich live in the upper city. The poor live in the lower city and outer city and get less uh, attention, less representation. And so they live in very dangerous areas run by cutthroat gangs and, a, and, a, and a, a, a thieves' guild called the Guild. But the power is in the upper city where the money is. And it's, it's a hard-line divide uh, you can't even get into the upper city unless you're a resident or you have a token that lets you stay there until night falls and then you're thrown out. Oh, okay. And the, the city's quote-unquote military is basically a hired mercenary company uh, called the Flaming Fist. Mm. And it's firmly under the control of the Dukes. And the Dukes, of course, are more interested in the preservation of those with money and power than anything else. So while the Flaming Fist is nominally charged with guarding the city, they're really, really just glorified, jackbooted thugs. And when you say guarding the city, it's not guarding against uh, attacks from without. It's it's technically both. Technically both. They're supposed to protect from attacks from within and without. Okay, but they, uh, do they operate as the police force? They do. I see. Yeah, so they've got an all-encompassing power thing. Now, there is another police force, technically, but it's relegated only to the upper city, and it's called the Watch, mm. which is a bit misleading in a sense because what they are, in fact, is their only interest is in protecting the patriarchs. Right. Um, so Because they pay them. Exactly. Yeah. That's where the money comes from. Yeah. So the patriarchs get paid. Uh, the patriarchs pay the Watch to protect them, and the city pays the Flaming Fist to protect the city, but the Flaming Fist handles themselves like you would expect a bunch of, you know, thuggish mercenaries. Because they are. They are, yes. very much. Um, and then is there corruption that goes down Rampant, rampant corruption. Mm. Um, on, and it's not just the rich who are corrupt. Everybody who's trying to eke out a living in this city is not above using corrupt methods to deal with uh, rivals. And murder is common. People do not travel around Baldur's Gate unescorted unless they're capable of protecting themselves Mm. because they will get murdered, either just simply for their money or their food or their clothes or because, hey, that's a patriarch. We don't like him or we want to send a message to those rich bastards on the top of the hill. Mm. So we're just going to, you know, beat the living crap out of this guy and... Even visitors and tourists who might come. Uh, not as if it, there's a vibrant tourism uh, <laughs> industry in, in Baldur's yeah, Gate. Well, but. There's, well, one of the things about Baldur's Gate is because of its location, it is a trade hub. Okay. And you can buy things at Baldur's Gate that you can't get in a lot of other places. Oh, right. So people do come to trade here. But fair warning, 
when you're moving around, make sure you're in a group. Yeah. Uh, or your first visit to Baldur's Gate will be your last. So this is a, in you know direct contrast to Waterdeep, which has yes. uh, a, a much more lawful. Right. Yeah. Both cities are very metropolitan, but Waterdeep has a strict codified set of laws. It has a, a generally speaking honest um, police force. Uh, dedicated to protecting right. all citizens of the city, and it's not—it's not very common to have a, a blade when you're walking around the city, right? Yes, and and it's it's cleaner. It's widely regarded as a safe place. Um, yeah, Baldur's Gate is absolutely the opposite, um, and and it ha- lots of illicit business just happens here, and nobody cares. Mm. Pirates can sail into harbor and sell their goods, and it's like, oh, that's, that's where'd you get this? Yeah. Oh, I don't care. Yeah, Doesn't matter. I don't care. Yeah, I'm just glad you have it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay you. Here pay your top coins. Dollar for Bye. Yeah. yeah, it's the other important thing uh, about Baldur's Gate is it's not too far away from Candlekeep, which is the Faerun's preeminent library, and so people come to Baldur's Gate. Because in order to enter Candlekeep to get at the library, you have to give the monks of, the, of Candlekeep a book that they don't have. And so people will come to Baldur's Gate to buy a rare book. Yeah. And then take it with them to Candlekeep to trade for entry. Which seems like a whole you know, cottage industry right there. To there make is. Sure. And there's an industry operated by Baldur's Gate Thieves Guild that basically has muggers waiting outside the city to attack people to steal the books that they bought and sell them back in Baldur's Gate ah. at a markup. So if you're leaving Baldur's Gate with a book, like just under your arm, chances are you're going to get mugged and lose the book. Does Cal- Candlekeep have any uh, you know, direct connections to the, the government of Baldur's Gate? No. No. They're, uh, they're independent? Correct. Now, uh, Candlekeep is a self-sustaining fortress. Mm-hmm. It's not just a library. It's actually a, like a citadel. Yeah. It's a guarded library. And it's got archmages up the wazoo. But it's just far enough away. I think it's about 150 miles south of Baldur's Gate. Oh, okay. That's far enough far. away that it's not... They're, that's they're, still like a week's travel right. really away. Yeah, right? exactly. So uh, Candlekeep doesn't rely on Baldur's Gate for anything. And Baldur's Gate, um, while, while it has a brisk book trade, doesn't need anything much from Candlekeep. Now, what Baldur's Gate does need is protection from its neighbors to the south, particularly the nation of Amun which is a mercantile nation and a very aggressive one mm-hmm. that views Baldur's Gate as an upstart and a threat to its trade, mass, uh, trade control of the Sea of Swords. And so what Baldur's Gate did was enter into the Lord's Alliance, which is kind of like a NATO of yeah. Faerun. We've talked about this before. The Lord's Alliance is a, a collection of allied cities independent cities that will promise to come to each other's defense if one of them comes under attack. And that includes Neverwinter, Waterdeep, Silvery Moon, Mirabar, Mithril Hall, and other places. And it includes Baldur's Gate. Gate. Baldur's Gate is, I think, the southernmost member of the Lord's Alliance and the farthest removed from all of the other cities. Okay. About how far away is, say, Waterdeep? Oh, gosh. I'd have to check a map, but I want to say maybe about a thousand miles. Oh, wow. Okay. So So it's quite quite a difference. Yeah. And Amun is much closer. Uh, So there's always the threat and there's always the fear in Baldur's Gate that Amun is just going to attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, Baldur's Gate also recently struck up an alliance with Port Nyanzaru. Oh, which is the city on the northern tip of Chult. Didn't it used to be? Didn't Port Nyanzaru used to be a, a used to be a colony? Am, yeah. It, well, it wasn't. It was. It was kind of taken over by the by Amun. 
until the Chaltons drove the almonds out. Uh, so what unifies Baldur's Gate and Port Nyanzaru is a is a general dislike of almond of almond. So, um, and this is another thing that infuriates almond is Baldur's Gate has established this trade line with Chult. Mm-hmm. And they've even got a fort on Chult, uh, a satellite where the Flaming Fist operate out of independently. Uh, so Amon is trying its best to try to break up that thing, and uh, this will cause Baldur's Gate and Port Nyanzaro no end of grief. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And so the leaders of Baldur's Gate, the, the four dukes, they are all known. Um, they've changed quite a lot recently. Um, with We did a, a product in as a bridge product between 4th and 5th edition called Murder in Baldur's Gate. Right. And we actually had a little um, poll online on our website which said, hey, run this adventure, tell us what the outcome is, and that will shape the future of the city and who's in charge. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happens in that adventure is uh, the previous Grand Duke, whose name is Abdal Adrian, he, he turns into, he, he reveals himself to be a ball spawn, which is this, um, a chosen of ball. Um, the god of murder and assassins. Uh, he gets gacked. Another uh, villainous duke named Torlin Silvershield also gets gacked in that adventure. Mm. And so uh, we kind of have two, we had two vacancies to fill. Um, one of them got filled by, uh, uh, so a Duke Elder Ravenguard, who is the leader of the Flaming Fist. He's a military commander, basically, oh, okay. a mercenary leader has been promoted. It's kind of fishy. Like, the guy who's running the military in the city is now suddenly the Grand Duke of the city. Yeah. Mm. How, and so, when you say elevated or promoted, how, how does it that occur? Actually elected. Uh, By yeah. the parliament? Yes. Okay. Um, and then how, how is the parliament chosen? Uh, that's good. It's an interesting question because it's not a fixed size. Mm. Um, it can shift around. Uh, but uh, the parliament of peers are also elected. Uh, uh, and uh, basically elected by their peers in the city. Um, Meaning the rich people yeah. in the upper city. Yeah, the lower people, uh, the, the lower city people and our city people really don't have much influence over the politics of Baldur's Gate. Okay, so they take a, Sadly. a, a straw poll and, and they yeah, pick a, it's the parliament and the right. parliament chooses yeah. among their number yeah. who becomes the archduke? Uh, not, well, it might not even be among their number. Oh, okay, it could be anybody, uh, the, which the, is the, how the grand, he got the, in. The, the grand duke can just, uh, often a duke who's not a grand duke will get elevated. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happened with him. So he's worked his way up, but it is a little, it is a little odd that you've got this guy who's also in charge of the military running the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be kind of hard if he gets to, has to get stepped down. Like, oh, but I rule the military, exactly. so how are you right. going to do that again? Yeah, yeah. Right. So that, that makes some folks nervous, but it was after, after so much murder and bloodshed, you know, you know what happens you know, when, when people just sort of naturally swing or gravitate toward extremity mm-hmm. after experiencing some trauma? Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, the streets have been painted with blood and this place is completely lawless. What we need is a strong leader. And who's stronger than the guy who's leading the military? Oh, Let's put him in charge. What a great idea. It can't be any worse than what we got, right? <laughs> um, it's worse. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. Uh, okay. And then who's, who's the other uh, Duke? The, guy the other one that we elevated was um, Duke Thalamra Van Thamper. Van Thamper. Van Thamper. She, she is described in Murder in Baldur's Gate, and she's been in the, the setting for a while, but is a very minor figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was the master of the city's utilities and sewer systems, which you wouldn't think would be that important, but when, when you really think about it, yeah, a city kind of 
particularly a medieval one, kind of needs a good sewer system. Yeah. Otherwise, it literally becomes a shithole. It's like a and Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. So here is this uh, self-made woman who rose from nothing. Her family had nothing. Uh, she, she worked in the sewers, actually rebuilding and repairing them herself. She's a civil engineer. Uh, she was a civil engineer until basically she discovered that her superiors were incompetent mm-hmm. and she, she managed to get more and more authority until she was promoted into positions of s- supervisors and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then eventually the, the dukes decided, oh, we'll just make you the master of the sewer system and all that. And uh, so she has uh, parlayed that power um, politically and with some well-placed bribes managed to get elected to the fourth ducal position. Is that, is that basically how elections are done by well-placed bribes? Pretty much. You, you, you bribe Exactly. You bribe the, the rich patriarchs and suddenly they're all on your side and you're, all of your elected opponents find themselves deprived of financing and thrown by the wayside. So if you're uh, a dungeon master using these uh, archdukes or, or the, the political machinations and murders that happen in, in Baldur's Gate, uh, you know, what's, what's a good way to, to kind of you know, infuse that character in your campaign? I think um, one of the things that's great about Baldur's Gate is if, if I were running a Baldur's Gate campaign, I might suggest that you sit down during your first session and have the party members decide what's their dark secret, what's their dark mm. thing. Um, the character's dark secret. Yeah. <laughs> Not the the characters. Char- right. What's the character's dark secret that has united them here in Baldur's Gate? Like, did they murder somebody and then cover it up? And so mm. they're sort of bound by this kind of dark pact. Uh, did they try to uh, swindle the guild and things went bad and now they have to stick together or the guild's going to wipe them out? Um, I think that sort of sets the mood. Mm. Uh, they might be, some of them might be former Flaming Fist mercenaries who were right. a little bit uh, too soft on crime and got dragooned out or, you know, uh, I think that the, the, in a city like Baldur's Gate, you can either come in like shining beacons and try to bring order to the madness, or you can be part of the city itself and have some sort of dark past that you're either trying to escape from or wrestle with. Mm. Um, so you can, go, you can go either direction. But the great thing about Baldur's Gate is if you get into a fight and people die... If the Flaming Fish shows up at all, they're going to probably just look at the situation and say, okay, everybody pay us, I don't know, five gold. Great. Now just throw that, in the, throw that corpse in the harbor. And that's, that's it. Yeah. You know, there's no... Tribunal or trial. Right, exactly, or like right. Yeah, like, yeah. All right, clean it up. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and it's, it's basically just grift and corruption all, mm-hmm. all the way. Right. So that's very... It's very um, there's a lot of liberty that an empowerment that comes from there. If you have a murder hobo party, that could be a, like an absolute delight. Yeah. If you have, a, if you have another, if you have a, a party that's not a murder hobo party, uh, that feeling of, oh, we can at least, you know, kill our enemies and not have to worry about being arrested. Whereas in Waterdeep, if you pull a sword out and you attack anybody, you're going to get imprisoned or sentenced to hard labor. And yeah. Stuff like that. There's it's a, yeah. It's almost very- no tolerance. Which is, which is very interesting. I mean, and running a Waterdeep campaign right now, it does feel like, okay, no, you can't just go around and even insulting people or, or you know, right. feeling like there's, because there's consequences to your actions, but exactly. in Baldur's Gate, it's, the, a, it's the consequences are immediate. With, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and as long as you're, you know, and most yeah. players are competent fighters, as long as you're a competent fighter, you, you can exactly. you know, have some uh, autonomy. Yeah, but the one thing you'll know, uh, one, the best thing about bringing to life in Baldur's Gate is the sense of disparity between the rich and the poor. Yeah. The poor loathe the rich because the rich live in their high houses, literally, <laughs> and they don't share the wealth. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and everybody else is forced to basically kill each other for scraps, fight over what's left. And um, finding a way in a campaign to bring justice to that kind of situation, to, be, to, to raise the voices of the people and mm. to protect those who can't protect themselves is just, it's ripe ground for a campaign. Have there been kind of populist uprisings of, of the, the poor of Baldur's Gate in the That's past? That's interesting to say. Um, yes, to an extent, not to the extent that the whole city has been burned to the ground or anything, mm-hmm. but whenever, whenever the, the poor do get riled up, the patriarchs have at least been smart enough to find a way to defuse it. Mm. Uh, the, the grand, and the Grand Duke and the Dukes as well. You know, uh, tax relief or some sort of festival or something to defuse the situation has always managed to sort of keep the city from imploding. Mm. But it's still, to some extent, a powder keg. All it would take, really, is um, like a plague or some other calamity mm. left unchecked that would probably drive the people to storm the upper city and uh, slaughter every patriarch in every house there is. So that is a, while, while the rich hold power, it is, it, it can be tenuous. Right. Interesting. Luckily, uh, the, the chance of uh, disease uh, isn't as high because of the well-maintained sewer systems. Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yes. True. All right. Uh, excellent. Well, if people want to ask you questions about uh, the, the hierarchy and the Archdukes and the current uh, government of Baldur's Gate, how can they get in touch? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, we'll be back with some more fun lore and or other segments in the future. Thank you very much. That was a really wonderful segment. I feel like I know so much more about uh, what happens in uh, that city. You do, yeah. It's pretty pretty amazing. Yes, it's the city of Baldur's Gate. People have been playing. Uh, 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 Kate Welch has been playing through uh, Baldur's Gate Two right. on uh, her awesome show, Welch's Game Juice. Yep. Which, if you're not watching, you should. It's uh, 3 p.m. Pacific time on twitchtv dnd on Thursdays. Every Thursday, it's very funny. If you don't watch it, you're going to get juiced. Very good. Juice, but not in a good way. Wait, hold on. I'm going to talk and you talk. Ready? One, two, three. Like We're talking about these. Uh, <laughs> we professional robots. We make robots happen for you. Um, let us now call up our amazing guest, Deborah Ann Wall. We have spoken to her uh, before on the podcast, but I'm really excited to talk to her all about uh, putting together the uh, dungeon mastering for Relics and Rarities and what it's like to, to work on that type of show, yeah. as well as how she will be bringing that show and its cast to on tour. D&D Live 2019, The Descent. Going from one studio to another in Los Angeles. It's on tour. It's on tour. That's technically She's officially on the road. I think under SAG rules, that's that's a tour. Take it on the road. Make it happen. Yes. Uh, all right, so we're gonna uh, call her up right about now. Okay. Yay. We have uh, an amazing person that we are interviewing right now, Miss <laughs> Deborah Ann Wall. Hello. We have a live audience today. Yes, lots of clappings. <laughs> live audience. Wow. Uh, very excited uh, for D&D Live uh, this year. And uh, the fact that you are going to, in addition to being a performer uh, uh, on the main stage and many of the storylines, you're going to be dungeon mastering too. Yes. Yay. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah, that was kind of something that just came up in the last week and they asked if what? I could be ready. And I was like, okay. Seriously? In the last week? 
yeah, just the last week they they asked if if uh, if we would we want to do that, and it was like a soft hold until like today. So um, I better get working. Yeah. <laughs> It should be fun. Uh, yes. So yeah, you put together everything for uh, for relics and rarities uh, as like a whole show. What was what was that like? You and you're know? not even like just like I'm just gonna dungeon match. Like you're like making like this crazy show with puzzles and riddles and like really like make, you're making it a little props. harder. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Plops, all those things. <laughs> um, well, I I mean I love puzzles and riddles and things like that. So I do those all the time every day. Anyways, so like that's just like a regular day for death. <laughs> that's oh. easy. Easy. That was easy. <laughs> um, I had like a list of all of the puzzles long before I knew what the story was. Um, yeah, no, I mean, they, so it actually, we were just talking before we came on. It kind of started with D&D Live last year because um, Nathan Stewart asked me if I would run a one shot uh, last year's event, The mm-hmm. Stream of Many Eyes. Yes, and you're, and you're uh, uh, Briarcleft. Uh, yes. Witches of Briar- Briarcleft? Witch of Briarcleft. Witch of Briarcleft. Singular, singular witch is very important. That is important. <laughs> Uh, although, if you no spoilers, watch to the end. No there there watch, may be the there may be more. Uh, but my wife, uh, you know, who's not a D and D fan really at all, doesn't really in, like you know wow, yeah. doesn't love the the genre. <laughs> That's um, she watched your performance and that whole uh, dungeon mastering story, and she that blew her mind. She was like, I didn't realize oh. that this is what it could be. Uh, and so she got you know, super excited and, and inspired by that. So. Everybody has that one dungeon master that changes yeah, everything. Yeah, it sort of suits your style or something. Yeah. And it kind of- kind of shifts it for you. But that was a big part of it for me with Relics is that, you know, I didn't start playing until an adult. I was an adult. And so my whole life I really wanted to, and it just felt like this club that I wasn't allowed to join. Mm. Um, and so I think the a big part of Relics for me was introducing it in a way that even if you have no idea what all that dice rolling is about, you can still enjoy the show and maybe it gets you interested and then you want to learn how to play. And so the best, like, tweets and things that we get from the show are all people saying, hey, I had no idea what D&D was and now I'm starting a campaign with my family or I'm joined up with this thing or, I, you know, and I'm just like, those are the best to hear that like this community is growing and getting more diverse and more voices are being added to these stories. It's just really cool. Yeah, and I was, I was just talking about that in uh, another interview where um, I think that's a really important factor of the streaming kind of, uh, uh, a phenomenon is that people are exposed to so many different styles of Dungeons and Dragons, and so yeah. they find the one that they enjoy. And then, if they go and uh, try to play on their own, maybe that that experience doesn't exactly match up with your expectations. Mm-hmm. And in the past, you just be like, "Oh, all DMD isn't for right. me because that one experience right. you bounce off right. of that." But now you're like, "Oh, I have an ideal that you're shooting for." Yeah. Well, and that the idea that you can't play this game wrong. There right. is no way. And when it's a game, so it's fun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the first rule. <laughs> um, that I think is really easy to forget sometimes in a complex game sometimes. Uh, so, yeah, so I've, I've really appreciated the idea of kind of like taking off the the kind of um, sort of the, the, the kind of intimidating mystique that has sort of surrounded it before and said mm. like, hey, however you want to play this game is great. Just go and play it because as an adult, it's so important to exercise our imaginations because we lose that. As a kid, we do it naturally. We do it all the time and we don't do it so much as an adult unless you're like me and you're a weirdo and you play make-believe for a living. Um, you know, it's a good thing for all of us to do. So I'm glad more people are doing it. You may have answered this with that, but there is something I think about your, your style to DMing that is very approachable to like people like like Greg's wife who don't have mm-hmm. any D and D experience and have really you know not had expressed that much interest in 
playing D and D, but it's appealing to them. And and when you're talk, saying about the tweets that you get from people who are yeah. saying, "I now I'm going to start a game with my family," yeah. which to me, like that kind of all feels like the same type of person that you're really yes. resonating with. What do you think it is about? I mean, you do. How do you demystify this game? Like, how? What's the secret there? Like, how are you actually? Because like, it it is true. There are these people now that watch yeah. you DM that are like, "I'm going to do this." <laughs> Never done it before. Uh, I'm doing it. Well, I think for one, a lot of the guests that we had on the show are n- totally new players. They're oh, that's good. Literal first time playing is on our show. Kevin Smith, even though he plays this game as well as any seasoned player, that is literally the first time he's ever played. And because he's such a busy person, with some of the other guests, I had like a sit down and said, like, here are the basic rules. And like, this is your basic go-to attack if you're ever stuck and you just need something to do. You know, and I kind of give him a sense. Kevin did not know how to play, play D&D. Probably still does, not, still does not know how to play <laughs> <laughs> But he was brilliant. And it was just because he was so open to it. And the story was paramount. And he was collaborative. And, and he was just creative and went with it. And... I, I like that, that when the emphasis is put on your creativity and your input as a player and a DM, and then I'm playing with you. I'm not playing against you. This isn't about the DM right. trying to like That's trick important. your brain. It's about making this a really expansive experience. Um, that I think, yeah, I, I, think, I think that makes it less intimidating. Um, you know, we get rules wrong all the time, and you're like, all right, who cares? <laughs> you know? yeah, as long as you're having fun. Matter. As long as you're having fun. And it's just the rules are there sort of kind of you know, guide, you know, sort of help the story keep moving. And if the story is moving, you don't really need them in that way, you know. Um, I love, I love yeah. what you're saying about, uh, about Kevin Smith because I want, you know, yeah. as a fan of his, you know, from the 90s, what always inspired me about him was this like DIY kind of feel of storytelling <laughs> where like, you know, there were all those legends of him like, you know, writing up his credit cards to fund clerks and he just made it with right. his friends. And, you know, it's always like, oh, well, maybe I can do that, you know, and, and jump into <laughs> it. Um, and I think that, you know, that mode of creating films probably worked really well for allow- oh, allowing yeah. him to jump into this creative setting and just be like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this because this is how I've done my whole career. Yeah, yeah. He was very, uh, very open to it. No fear at all. Some of our other guests, you could see it took him like half an hour or so to kind of go, oh, I get it. I can right. do whatever I want, you know. Um, but he, like, right from the start took charge. And, and the fun thing about it as well is that, like, he invented, at one point, I, you know, he was pretending to be a, he, you know, he's trying to bluff someone, and he made up this idea that he worked at Tiefling Traders, which is not a part of Bellbrook, but now it is. Like, Kevin Smith has now contributed that to the canon of my world, you know? That's and amazing. I, I love that. And I love that you said he, he didn't know how to play, which is actually kind of shocking to me. I, don't, right. I can't believe he'd never played, but... Um, not and, know how to play. And that he might still not know how to play. <laughs> but that doesn't matter because no. Kevin Smith had the, the same experience of playing D&D as anyone 100%. who goes to play D&D mm. that maybe knows all the rules and has been playing yeah. for years and they had a good time. The same, yeah. you both played D&D. Like you, yeah. It just proves again, like you don't have to know. You don't have to know yeah. anything. Well, when I do newbies, in fact, when I play with new players, I generally don't do a lot of rules. I don't generally let them roll their own characters even. I've, I've you know, designed like, 20 to 30 first level characters and I'm just like hey 
if you were attacked in Lord of the Rings, how would you want to handle it? You know, and if they're like, oh, I would try to heal the sick. I'm like, great, cleric, you know, oh, that's <laughs> I a good, talk my good way test. out of it. Great, bard, you know, you just kind of like give them something that feels instinctual for them. And then I don't give them any rules. I just am kind of like, basically, you're going to tell you're going to explore. I'm going to tell you what you see and you're going to tell me what you want to do. And you're going to roll D20s to figure out if you can do it. Yeah. And we'll point to your sheet and we'll figure it out. You know, yeah. like it's not an intimidating math game where you have to and, and people love that stuff like I've never played a game where you like religiously track your ammo and your rations and things like yeah. that because that's not what interests me I'm interested in collaborative problem solving so that's the focus of my games and I'm much more interested in what my players have to say than what my characters what their characters have to say I want to know what their brains are capable of coming up with through the lens of character mm. um, so I don't do a lot of like like the social world of like the outcast drow. Like again, I'm just not that interested in it. I, I want to see what Xander and Julia and Jasmine and Tommy can come up with and then use this like character sheet and these ideas to kind of elevate that. Um, so again, I think that, if, again, if you're not an actor or a voice performer or someone like that, that's much more accessible perhaps to feel like I don't have to be good at voices or good at role playing. I just have to be a creative problem solver. That's awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned that, that amazing cast. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Xander, Julia, and Tommy, I think we're all at, at Stream of Many Eyes, uh, and, and we're fantastic. Um, but, uh, yeah, why don't, why don't you talk through for folks who, who may not have watched the show, uh, you know, what, what each of their characters are like and sure. what, the, yeah, what their players are like, too. <laughs> well, we'll go down the line. So we have Tommy, uh, Tommy Walker, who plays um, Viros. He is literally a prince. Uh, his character, he's a fighter character, pretty standard sort of martial fighter. Um, but the greatest thing about, so Tommy is such a, he's such a lovely nerdy guy, but he looks kind of like a prince, you know? So I think he can kind of relate to some of that stereotyping a bit. And the really fun thing that we do with Tommy is his charisma stat is, or Viros's charisma stat is very, very low. Oh. Because he's a prince. He thinks everyone loves him. He thinks he's really handsome and really charming, but no one's ever been honest with him because every joke he made that was lame, everyone laughed because he was the prince. So it's really fun because Tommy leans into that and he'll he'll make charisma rolls all day long with his crap stats. <laughs> and it just leads to the most amazing story. And And in our finale, even as the fighter character, he almost has an entirely role play um, uh uh, what is the word I want? Uh, ob- objective or or strategy. It's an almost an entirely role play strategy in our finale against the big bads. Um, and I think that's really cool. That happened a bunch where different characters kind of ended up taking on a role that was wasn't in their wheelhouse, mm. but it, it made them be creative about it, which that's is cool. so cool. Uh, so then we have Jasmine Bueller. She, you may know her. She streams on Twitch, and she's awesome. She plays Beryl the Barbarian, and she's an ancestral bar- barbarian, which is fun because I don't think there's, at least to, to my experience, um, we don't have a lot of streaming ancestral barbarians. And so it's, it was kind of cool to sort of introduce some of those aspects to uh, to the universe, I guess. What um, are those aspects? <laughs> In case somebody listening didn't Yeah, know. I mean, I don't... <laughs> Well, one is so they have this guardian, kind of spirit guardian that can come on and help. And then some of the raging is a little different. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are protective elements that come with it as well. I think they can help protect their allies oh, cool. um, using their guardian. So it, it's an interesting kind of mix. 
And to go with that, what I was really impressed with with Jasmine is that rage is an interesting tool. So again, you can play this game as a strategist and you could just rage every time because it gives you bonuses. Or you could play like Jasmine and say, I'm only going to rage when Beryl would get mad. And there were moments where it might really have helped her. They were fighting a shark at one point and she never raged because she said, it's just a, it's an animal, you know, like we have to fight it so we don't die, but I'm not angry at it. Mm. And again, like that's such an impressive, oh, that's interesting. isn't it? Yeah. It's a really impressive like use of the, the specifics of the story. And, and I, you know, that again is such a, 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 to like impose that disadvantage on yourself in order to keep it true. Then we have uh, Julia Dennis who plays Annabella the Bard. Uh, and she's perfect for that because Julia is like trash talker <laughs> extraordinaire. Um, and the main amazing thing about Julia, Julia is also one of those players who, you know, Tommy and Julia are newer to the game, like the last three years or so, three or four years. And Julia still like, before she looks at her sheet, she goes, oh, I have an idea. And it's usually a crazy idea. And she'll go, okay, I'm going to use this makeup and I'm going to dress myself up to look like this guy. And we'll go, actually, you have a spell for that. And she'll go, oh, great. I use my spell. <laughs> so much easier. Perfect way, again, for new players to say, like, just have the idea and the sheets will support you rather yeah. than feeling like you have to play off the sheet. And the other people around you can do the same. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so she she has some of the wildest ideas. She's one of the bravest players. She just walks in and lies. Uh, and it's just amazing. <laughs> some of her roles are, uh, they, some, some of them really support her. But the great thing is even when she rolls poorly, she just digs in harder, which allows her to do it again because she's changed her tactic, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it's a really, uh, really inspiring way to play. And finally, we have Xander Genre, who plays Ricky, Ricky the Huckster. He's a, uh, a gnome druid. And Ricky did this really beautiful homebrew skin on him, which is an alchemist. So he asked me beforehand and we talked it out. But his idea is that instead of using spell slots, he has little bottles of potions that he has that uh, do his effects. Oh. So for something like fairy fire, he would hurl this potion. And when it breaks, it would cover everything in that area in fairy fire. And that would cast it, cost a spell slot kind of idea. Um, and it's just a beautiful way to do it. And it meant every time on his turn, we were all like, oh, what's he going to say now? Like, what does the bottle look like? And how does it work? And it, it just gave this really beautiful, creative sort of spin to it. What a cool idea. Yeah. I like and I love that you're just like, okay, let's figure out a way to make this work. Well, more than that, I told him, I said, if you, you, know, you want to do that, such a great idea. But I was like, I feel like, I feel like Ricky would jingle. Like, I feel like if you have that many bottles on you, you'd make yeah. some noise. Like, great. And we gave him disadvantage on stealth. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, again, like, like intentionally putting on these disadvantages to yourself to give you something to play with and, and to sort of force you to be more creative and not just do the spell. But, you know, how do you counteract your, your, uh, your downsides? That's so cool. I love that. I like taking, th like, there's, D&D &D doesn't, I don't always have to have a benefit. But mm -hmm. I think it's cool when, like, well, I screwed something up, and now like yeah. some like playing with Satine at GaryCon. Yeah. Her thing is like if you miss on an attack, then you have to roll damage on yourself. Like, oh, wow. with, like with the assumption of like you tripped when you were trying wow. to cast that, and now you fell on your face. Oh. But so, <laughs> but I was like, you know what? 
I hate it, but I love it because <laughs> that's probably what really happened. And I don't know why uh-huh. I keep trying to like make like my fantasy real, but right. I, I love that. I love when you add yeah. like a real element yeah. to like, yeah, I probably would make a lot of noise because I'm carrying all these potions around with me. I'm carrying these bottles, yeah. yeah. And like that's rolling cool. a one is not is not a failure. It's actually the storytelling amazing yeah, moment. It where you like, it's just, yeah. One hundred percent. It's just thing. this great new thing, and so I mean, the best moments in all games are always those failures, because then you have to dig yourself out of it, and yeah. people get creative. Yeah, I I love Xander as well. He's going to yeah. be performing at D and D Live uh, with uh, Bonnie Gordon as the Library Bards, which is going to be so fun. Uh, and uh, we, I don't know if you saw this, but a couple months ago, we did something with him with. His mother. He went back yes, to I did see the Midwest and played with his his parent, you know, his mom that and her beautiful. friends. What? I just brought oh. so many tears to my eyes I know, every single I time. Love that. Yeah. With their with their Wisconsin accent. <laughs> it was yeah. so great. Wisconsin. Yep. <laughs> I know. I'm almost kicking myself that we didn't invite them to D and D Live. But next time, <laughs> no. next time. Oh my god. That's gonna be great. Um, so yeah, and then hopefully we'll be able to add another special guest too to the cast. I'm really excited about who that might be. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the table's got, uh, six player slots, so we could even have two, uh, additional. Yeah, we could even have two if we wanted to, maybe. so we'll see. We, maybe we'll invite some people back. Maybe we'll get some new people. We're yeah. not sure. Yeah. Um, I have to sort of figure out where I'm going to set it and what their quest will be. Um, yeah, so maybe, and we, yeah. we, and we definitely talked about those characters, but um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, everyone knows exactly what the conceit of the show was and, and all that stuff. So, you know, yeah, walk us through. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, it all sort of started with, uh, you know, someone from Geek and Sundry saw me at the Stream of Many Eyes, and when they were looking to put together a new D&D show, someone recommended me. And they came out to me, and they the sort of pitch that they had was we want to do six episodes that have an overarching story, but we would also like them to work standalone. And we'd like you to bring in a new guest every time, potentially a celebrity, somebody that we recognize. And I was like, wow, that's a tall order. Like, how do you wrap up an episode and still feel like it's progressing? Right. It's like the X-Files problem. Yes, a little bit. So my thought was, you know, this has been done before, was like Horcruxes or in Zelda, you need the compass, the map, and the the key or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. and the idea being that that there would be five items, information, whatever it is, that you have to go on five quests to get everything you need in order to find and finish off the big baddies at the end. Um, and so the, what, it, what that allowed us to do was kind of keep building story whilst give each of the episodes kind of an enjoy, enjoyable arc on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made sense for a guest star to come in, do a quest, and then leave. Um, and I, you know, suddenly we weren't in the middle of the forest and that person disappeared and we have a new person and we're just going to continue walking. So it gave it kind of a logical idea, which then gave me the idea of a home base. So I wanted it to be a questing company that was going to send people off. And I said, well, if you were a really good questing adventuring company, uh, you wouldn't announce that to the world. (laughs) You would be very secretive about it. So I got the idea that it would take place out of a curio shop because it would be the perfect place to hide very valuable items in plain sight. Uh, that something that looked like some sort of junky old item to the, you know someone who didn't know could actually have incredible magical properties. So yeah, it became Relics and Rarities, and this was the home base for the R&R Brigade, which goes out and takes care of the world um, while everyone else sleeps soundly in their beds. 
And uh, they, I went to them and, you know, get geek and sundry. And I was like, you know, I kind of feel like it just looked like your grandmother's attic, you know, and, uh, and also like, are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps and kind of pull in this kind of childlike creepy vibes and um, gave them some reference photos of things I was thinking of. And they went away. And when I came back, it was like someone had pasted my imagination <laughs> up in a studio. Incredible. I was so floored. Wow. And I've never had that before. You know, I've, I've always been a brick in the wall. I've never liked help build the wall. Mm. It was a really... Oh, you mean as being an actor and an like actor. and going onto the set and you're like, I can change my little parts, but yeah. not the entire right. vision. Yeah. I can be as strong a brick as I possibly can be, but it's still going to be the wall. It's somebody else's wall. And this was the first time that was really like, here are my blueprints. This is the wall I want to build. And, you know, like, please go and make as colorful and incredible bricks as you can and put them all together. And like, it was great to come back and see see, you know, what your blueprints then become in someone else's head, you know, That's so great. Um, always more than, you know, yeah. just exciting. That's so cool. It actually, the, it reminds me like this is the setting is exactly what I picture Beetle and Grimm's pandemonium warehouse. <laughs> to look like. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like a magic item shop or, <laughs> That's all yeah. 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 Well then very fitting. We had Lillard for our yeah. first episode. He was our guest. Yeah, so how so the the players now did they have experience playing together before this or how did you bring them all together? So Julia and Tommy, they play with me in my homebrew game. Okay. So I introduced them to the game. I am pretty sure I'm the only person they've ever played D and D with. <laughs> um, they're very they're, lucky. They're, I love them so much. They're they're really gr- good people, great players, so creative and committed, good actors as well, which you know can help sometimes, especially if you're doing. RPG entertainment, which is a little different than just playing at home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they, you know, when Geek and Sundry said, asked if we do this, I said, well, can I bring two of my friends? And they said, sure, can we bring two of our friends? And <laughs> we all got together. And so Xander and uh, Jasmine were people that Geek and Sundry recommended that they'd worked with before. I guess Xander is basically the king of Geek and Sundry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were absolutely the most perfect fit. Um, we had one prequel game. I wrote a really quick, again, like 90-minute one-shot for them to play um, beforehand. And I, at the, the, the reward of that quest were their magic items because they are starting at fifth level, and I felt like you should have a magic item. So I had them go on this sort of mini quest together to find their magic items. And it was like lightning in a bottle the first time. I was really shocked. I, having had never played together, you know, with Jasmine and Xander included, um, it, everyone gelled immediately. Friendships were forged like right away. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think at the end of that session, we were going in, like, that was like Friday night. We were going to start shooting Monday morning. And I think that whole weekend we were all just like, like holding our breath a little bit. Like, can we just contain, this magic that happened and make sure that it continues because it's so exciting. And uh, it was fun too. like, <laughs> I'm a very physical dungeon master. I like to like stand up and move and crouch and do all my things. <laughs> and they had put me in a chair with arms. And after watching that little prequel one shot, they were like, we're going to move that around because <laughs> you're going to knock the chair over. You need but, like a little wheelie stool, like a I need all kinds dental of hygienist. That's so funny. Cause <laughs> I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think those hand motions that you just did yeah. are the, I think there's an image of you playing up in the uh, the conference room during the stream of many eyes and you're making those exact same gestures. 
I'm very physical with that. When I found a photograph, it's on Twitter somewhere. People want to find it. I found a photograph of myself turning five. Oh, wow. And I'm at preschool and it's my birthday. And we used to do this thing where you would walk around, you'd like carry, you'd like carry a globe and then walk around a light like for each year of your birth kind of thing. Sort of saying it was a very nice thing. There's a picture of me in that room and I'm going, (laughs) (laughs) and I found that photo and I was like, oh my God, that's Twiggy. It's this character that I created that I played it on Critical Role and I was playing Twiggy in that photo up there. And I was like, that's it. Twiggy just has to be me at five. Yep. And uh, I think (laughs) part of why I love D&D so much is like all of us, when you get to like middle school, when you become self-aware and self-conscious, you start to hide parts of who you are. Mm. And I think particularly as an actor, so much of my journey has been about taking those covers off and trying to get back to who I was at 12, 11, 10, 5. So I think D&D is such a perfect vehicle for that. It immediately asks you to be a kid again, at least the way I like to play. And um, yeah, so I, I found that photo and I was like, this is perfect and fitting and I just want to play Twiggy forever so that I can, you know, keep keep that little girl alive and happy. That's fascinating. My, yeah. my, my daughters are uh, eight now. Mm. Eight and five, and you know, I played D and D with them a couple of times, and uh, I've you know experienced something similar to what you're talking about, where they just they don't really have any preconceived notions, they yeah. don't really know uh, what it is. But as as dungeon mastering with them, it can just be like, well, here's sounds like this is what you want to do. They have all the ideas, they have the childlike yeah. play instincts within them, and they just want to do it. And I just kind of you know steer it the way it happens. Um, and, uh, uh, in, in describing what a dungeon master does, my five-year-old was like, well, I want, I, w- I want to do that. I don't want to do, I don't want to just be the player. I, w- I want to do what you're doing. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, really? So I kind of like reverse dungeon mastered with him. Like I, I was a player with her and she was coming up with stuff that was just so fascinating and crazy and, 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 and amazing. Uh, and I was the one who's like, all right, it sounds like you're asking me for a, you know, a, a perception check. So I'll. We'll do that, and then uh, and then this is it got high, so I can see a lot more. What do I see? And then she would just describe what it was, and I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, I want to." That's so interesting. I want to hold on to this forever. I don't want them to get. I don't want them to get to middle school and and have that like hide part no, of their but lives. You're, gonna, you're already giving them the the tools. Yes. for them to not have to hide that. To yeah. always have that outlet for it. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping with all the gaming yeah. accoutrements I have in the house that they just it just is part of their their DNA. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful, though. I love that story. I I played one of my producers on one of the shows, used to play D&D when he was, he was younger, and his son was having some trouble in school. I think he was nine. And he asked if I would come and run a game for, like, a few of his friends and their dads. So it was like a eight-person game or something like that. Wow. Um, but I ran the very first adventure of uh, Lost Minds, and... Those kids, oh my God. I mean, one, they had a blast. And then later that night, the father who I knew started sending me photos. His son had already sat down and was starting to draw out dungeons. Oh, I love it. And here's a monster. And he only lets you pass if you're very polite. You know, like he'd already like created a monster. That's so great. <laughs> like a role-playing monster. You um, see, you inspired another future dungeon master. You know, right like at nine. And, you know, but that's the thing. I mean, the... the the best things are the ones that are inspirational, aspirational, rather than kind of like closed off. Yeah. If you're not perfect, you don't get to do this. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, I, just kind of opening that up. And I like that more adults are just latching on to this yes. type of play. You know, I think it's something that you, you mentioned a, a couple of times of like, you know, the, the, the people that feel the most healthy <laughs> in, their, in their outlook on life are the ones that are like, hey, I'm just having fun. Like I'm doing the thing that I enjoy doing and it doesn't, you know, necessarily add to the bottom line and get you like, you know, <laughs> able to get your mortgage paid and all that crap. But like you're just enjoying yourself. And, yeah. you know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this surge in popularity that Dungeons and Dragons is having now just has this overarching good effect surge on the world. In positive mental health. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> D&D is basically free. I mean, once you kind yeah. of, you know, figure out how to play whatever sort of that costs at the, the base level and you could get someone to teach you for free. You really don't need anything. I mean, I, most of my games are theater of the mind. Uh, that was a big reason why on Relics I didn't want I didn't want. Um, you know, like minis and set pieces. I was like, I just want to, I just want a grid. I want to go old school grid and I want to just draw it out like it's on a piece of paper. And maybe we find a few little things that give it some atmosphere. Um, but if it looks like a battle is better in their minds, let's play it in their minds. Like I don't want to be tied to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want them to feel like they're in the room, not looking at the room, uh, which I think is an important distinction. And uh, so yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really good one to get into because even if you have nothing but a pencil and a piece of paper, you can play this at a really basic level. That's what I think is also confusing to people is when yeah. you tell them like because my my parents still to this day are like, but where's the board? <laughs> How do you win? Ma- where are the people? Yeah, Did so you win? When is it over? And right. it's like it's hard for people to understand that it's it is a game. There are no real winners and losers it doesn't really end unless you want it to end and you need nothing like you just it's in your imagination but again thanks to you know streaming people can actually see how the game is played thank god because i am so sick of explaining thank peller to (laughs) thank peller to and pelham i'm so i can just tell my dad just just watch this. He's watching right now. I'm he's sure. watching. He's he's on a train right now. <laughs> Probably not. Not great Wi-Fi. But um, but, but I mean, you know, I I love the idea of being in that that room for relics and rarities where you had all these props and yeah. things as well. Like I I I, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying about about theater of the mind being one of the strongest elements of Dungeons and Dragons. But there's also something really, um, and this was you know born true in, in the stream of many eyes, where it's like, yes, we're all imagining this, but how cool is it if you could actually hold. <laughs> you know, the stone of galore and like actually feel like, okay, this is the weight of it and this is what it is, you know? And mm-hmm. then, yeah, those are all, you know, I think, I think as long as you don't lose the kind of imaginative spark that kind of is underneath that, as long as what you bring out evokes rather than like defines, yeah. I think then, you know, again, you're doing it right. There's no way to do this wrong. And we talked a lot about that, you know, because Geek and Sundry were sort of like, hey, we have this ability to do a lot of technical stuff and build sets and props and things. And since I am much more of a theater of the mind kind of kind of DM, I'm not a, I said this online, gack. I, I guess that means cocaine or something like that. But <laughs> <laughs> that's the secret. Gack for me has always meant gear. Like can't, we have like camping gack or things like that. But anyway. Oh, okay. Gack, the cocaine you take when camping. <laughs> you know. Right. Me and Shelly are gacked up right now <laughs> with all have, these props like, that we have, like, we have like, for but I wrote that on Twitter, and of course I was like, oh my God, wait a minute. I didn't mean that. Let us tell you about pegging. Yeah, we know. <laughs> We've had a similar experience. We were talking. <laughs> yeah. Your jeans. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a, I don't tend to use a lot of stuff. If I do have props, you know, I've printed it off on my own computer or whatever it is, but they really wanted to do this. So I said, okay, great. 
but let's make it like imagination is the, is the forefront of this whole thing. So what I want it to look like is kids in their parents' basement playing Dungeons and Dragons. And then when the DM says you're in a forest and you see all of the trees around you, Mm. I want it to look like just a little bit of what we'd imagine. So you still see your parents' basement, but there's also a tree, you know? And so that's how we got this idea of like the single set that would remain the same, but we just dress it a little bit each time. That's really cool. Um, and it gives you a little a little feeling, a little quality of where they are without telling you what it's supposed to look like. I love that, too. Um, That's and really similarly with the props. I mean, they, they had such an incredible crew there, you know, because I was like, look, I can print off what I have. Like, that's how I would run this at home. And they said, oh, no, no. Because <laughs> Brad can do calligraphy and all this stuff. <laughs> they made all these incredible props that I could literally hand out to them a letter and... Um, and I think the good thing is that all of those props, you know, they're all clues. They're just little things that if I were at home, I would hand them the piece of paper or they'd write it down. And so this way it's immersive, but it doesn't, again, take away from the fact that it's all about what they see and what they do with that information. Yeah. I mean, Shelly and I are both, you know, former theater people. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what you're describing basically feels like theater to me. It feels like, like yeah. oh, you're like, yeah. you know, you can, anytime you're on a stage, you can just tell the audience, hey, I'm a, I'm a king. And then yeah. I am a king, yeah. and then everyone has to believe that, right? And that's, yeah. there's very much that power as a dungeon master to, to just say, this is what the reality is right now, and everyone accepts it at the table, and it feels very um, you know, evocative, but it's even more so if you've got a sound effect or you've got a lighting <laughs> cue, and then you're like, oh, they're, they're not just in control of what I'm imagining. They're in control of yeah. what I'm seeing and hearing and all my senses as well. <laughs> but I also think some of the most powerful theater experiences I've had have been like intimate arena seating, bare bones set, just like mm-hmm. a couple of actors and like mm-hmm. very, very little, like the lighting may change here and there. There may be like a single chair or something yeah. as the prop and you're like, whoa, this is theater. I'm like, I'm, I got to do all the work here. <laughs> but you're like instantly, you, you're yeah. forced to, you're immersed in it because you're just, yeah. you have to just focus on, on what's happening on the stage and you're not distracted by like the flashy sets and the stages rising and, <laughs> and all the people. puppets and the, and, yeah. the, and the animals on stage. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, but that's interesting. Like you could think of something like Lion King, which is clearly a huge hit and everybody loves it. But what they talk about are the puppets and the technicals and things like that. And, yeah. and so you kind of decide, you know, where do you want people's focus to go? And I think with a game like Dungeons and Dragons, you really want it. To, I wanted the focus to be on the players and, and specifically on their brilliance, how funny they are, how creative they are, how intelligent they are. Uh, that's the most important thing to me is that even, again, even more than the characters, I want those players to shine. And it's really exciting for me that Tommy and Julia are now bona fide Dungeons and Dragons celebrities. I think that is so cool. That is cool. <laughs> and so well-deserved. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, that tickles me so much. Do any of them want to uh, jump into Dungeon Mastering now? Are they inspired by you? Are they going to be players forever? Or, or do they, they want to... I asked them that question. <laughs> And both of them said no right now. <laughs> um, I think I think it maybe is a little intimidating still at the moment. But um, you know, I'm a really good D and D pusher. That's like I've I've elected myself to be <laughs> the person on the corner that's like, hey, hey <laughs> first one. You want to buy some D and D? You want some D and D gack? <laughs> <laughs> you can get hooked on my gack. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, is it Tommy and Julia that you you introduced to D and D? Yes. So, yes. what was that? Did they had they expressed interest? Were they like, oh, so I've seen you doing this D and D thing? Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just drop um, that D and D nugget on them. So Tommy had been in Daredevil the first season, and so I'd met him through that. And then they had moved out here from New York, so we were people they knew, and we became friends. And we were just having, like, a barbecue one day, and because I love Dungeons & Dragons and I want to play it as often as possible, I always just talk about it and try to, you know, again, because people don't even know what it is. I kind of just want to be like, oh, no, it's not what you think it is. It's not that. It's this, like, really free, open you know, expressive game. And uh, we were just talking and they were like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I was like, hey, well, if you want to try it sometime, we can get a group together. And like, lo and behold, we're still sort of playing that game three years later. Oh, my God. And they had never played before. Never before. And now they're celebrities. Now they're celebrities. celebrities. D&D celebrities. D&D celebrities. (laughs) That is very interesting. I love that. So do you, (laughs) is your preference to play with new players or do you not have I do, a I do love playing with new players. Uh, I, I do think there's something unpredictable about it. And because, because they're more likely to just give you their ideas rather than play off of the paper, um, it's, it, yeah, you just, you're, you're a little more alive and engaged with each other, eyes, you know, looking at each other in the eyes. With, with more experienced players, you get some good ideas and some great strategy, but I do find it gets it gets a little bit contained by what they can do rather than by what they can do, you know? Yeah. Um, I thought that was the same word, but it was definitely know, very different expressions. Heart. Yeah. I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I, I have a game. I'm running Storm King's Thunder for a group of pretty experienced players right now. And one of them, actually, Alan, was my first DM. He taught me how to play. <laughs> And he actually helped on the show. He, I designed all of the guest characters, but he actually built them for me oh, cool. um, because we talked about it and he was right. It's more fun to play against characters that you didn't specifically build. So I saw their sheets. I knew what they could do, but it wasn't like I had made it. Mm. So I was a little bit more surprised and inspired by what they came up with because I, I didn't know their characters, you know, like the back of my hand. Um, so yeah, so he built all of their characters and deserves them. Alan Mills deserves a special thanks. He, he does. Yeah, he introduced <laughs> you to D and D. And he introduced me to D and D and got me hooked. And now I'm DMing for him on Storm King. Um, you And so yeah, so Alan is a brilliant player. I mean, he's been playing thirty years more, something like that. And uh, some of the things that he comes up with, I'm like, oh, that's because you know you've fought something like this before and died or whatever happened. (laughs) And so you're trying something new, but that's, I think, another level where you go, I have all this experience. Now I just want to experiment. And I want to see, like, is there another way to beat this bullet or, you know, whatever it is? Can I, can I do it a different way? And and I, I really enjoy his, his experimental uh, spirit. How many games are you running right now? The Storm King right now is the only one that's regular. I'm taking a little bit of a break from D&D at the moment because I'm in a transitional period in my my work work. <laughs> so I'm focusing a little bit there to try and see if I can continue to do my job. Um, <laughs> so I haven't been doing a, doing very much D&D. I've been writing a lot of D&D. I have a, a homebrew, a new homebrew skin that I'm working on. And then I'm 
DMing for this Storm King pretty regularly. But like Tommy and Julia's game, we haven't picked up in a while. And then I do newbie games from time to time. So I have like three or four first level one shots that if I ever run into people who just want to try it, we go ahead and we play those. Oh my God, that's amazing. I have a couple of those. I don't get to play play very much though. So I'm excited for D&D Live. Nice. Just like play for six hours. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and I know we're, we're we're figuring out exactly what character you're going to play, uh, yeah. but there's a lot of options there. Oh do you have God. a preference? What do you like to play? I don't have a ton of experience playing just like straight spellcasters, um, so maybe that would be a good thing to try out. I don't know. Uh, I tend to gravitate more towards fighters or a mix of the mix of the two. Um, but I mean, I love Twiggy. I don't know if they would maybe. Maybe they'll let me bring Twiggy. I'm not sure. I, 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 I keep wanting to play with play her, and I, I don't get to do it a ton, so maybe I would do that. But basically, I want to find out who the other people are playing so we don't end up with a lot of overlap because maybe it would be fun to try something new. Yeah, yeah, that's, that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, you know, Daredevil, and, and uh, Charlie Cox was also a guest on Relics and Rarity. Yeah. Uh, was it, I I think there were some stories back when you guys were filming that, uh, you introduced him to the game on set. Is that, is that true? Uh, yes and no. So, you know, days on set can be very long and there can be these long breaks between setups and things like that. So I used to bring the player's handbook and just like build characters for fun, uh, between takes or, you know, between, uh, setups. Like cool people do. Yeah. Like cool people do, you know. Oh, well, even worse, when I was on True Blood, I used to bring adventures to set and I would play with myself in my trailer alone. <laughs> oh, I love that so And little much. did you know that uh, Joe is a few he, trailers he was, down. He was probably, playing alone yeah. in his trailer. <laughs> I know. We, didn't, we didn't cross paths very much on set. Like we were in really different storylines. So oh yeah, that's true. Played. Uh, but yes, so I think he was just curious one day and came over and we were sort of building a character for him together, but we never finished. And um, that was kind of as far as that ever went. Uh, and then when we were doing press for season three of Daredevil, I mentioned that I got this gig and that we were going to be shooting it and that we would bring in celebrity guests, never thinking in a million years that he would want to do it. In fact, I thought I kind of annoyed the crap out of him talking about it all the time, (laughs) but that's my insecure nerd talking. I'm sure it was funny. Um, and he ended up saying, Hey, could I be one of those celebrity people who comes on? And I was like, Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we worked it out. He came on. I feel like that's the exact same reaction that I would have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That was basically yeah. When, basically when Geek and Sundry was pitching doing Rex and Rarity for this show. That's basically yeah. what I did. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> was that so? Was that his first time playing D and D? Yep. What is up with these people that are like, I'll play D&D for the first time live or, or and re- let you record it? It's because of me and you, yeah. Shelley. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> yeah, he was great. I mean, he he likes games. I don't think I knew that very very much when we were shooting, but I found that out through this process. Um, so that was, that was something. Um, we talked about it beforehand, so he had a little bit of a sense. And his character had a fairly complex mechanic with both sneak attack and booming blades. He had like ongoing stuff that kind of, which was confusing. So I, we did like specifically map out his kind of main attack. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he was great. He did an accent. And uh, I think at a certain point, he was one of the ones that I think it took a little time to like warm up, but there's a moment where you see him go, Oh wait, I could use 
my mage hand and take that thing over there and we would be safe. And it was like, oh, I got an idea. And then for like the rest of the game, you could just see his eyes were like locked in. Um, And again, like I think for new players to see that, to see someone a little a little hesitant or unsteady and then see them like take that leap. Uh, I'm so glad that we saw, you know, we saw so many different players engage with it in their own unique way. And I'm, I'm sure that's true for a lot of actors who, uh, you know, s- similar to you where you're like, I've, I've been a, a brick in the wall, but haven't been able to actually contribute to storytelling. It's a little bit, yeah. I mean, I'm sure even coming onto set felt similar to going onto to the set for, for a TV show that he isn't <laughs> writing, you know, but then at the, it, it's that moment is like, wait, I yes. can write this. I can yes. have my idea and it uh, happens. Yeah, It's in the show. And, and it. You're right. It's, it's canon. It, it just occurred. <laughs> and I bet that is that spark. For, for people yeah. who, you know, who may be creative and may have that storytelling, you know, aspect in, the, in their careers, but don't have that necessary, you know, that power. Yeah. Well, Charlie, I've always said he is a, he is a great, I mean, he's a great actor, but he also has a great director's sensibility, I mm. think. Like, I absolutely see that in his future for him at some point. Um, and I think, I think that is, I think it's because he has that urge to be a part of the storytelling, to, to make decisions that affect where and how this is told. And I think as soon, yeah, once that sinks in with D and D and you go, Oh wow. Yeah. Like I have complete control in this moment <laughs> to affect this story. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a lot of like, it's really great, innocent power, you know, and I, benevolent that, power. It sounds like, you know, you've gotten that, uh, to exercise that directing power a little bit with creating the show and having it be yeah. the wall that you're that you're building with the collaborators collaborators mm-hmm. that at Geek and Sundry is that something that that you'd want to pursue the directing thing? No, not at this <laughs> point in time. Um, mostly because I just I just don't care. <laughs> 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 enough about I love specifics. Like my bread and butter, the thing that gets me so excited is that tiny little thing you say that then I go, oh, I can make a whole story about that that the audience will never know. Mm. And it's just my story that like informs that one word that I say. And that's really exciting for me. I don't really care about like, I don't know (laughs) what color anything is or what (laughs) dot it is. Like my approach to acting has always been like, I'm in a documentary and you guys will capture it. And yeah, I'll, sit two inches to the right to help with the shot or I'll, you know, whatever I have to do to help with the shot. But like, I'm not, I just, I don't ask what size anything is or, you know, I, I, it just doesn't interest me. I'm not, I don't really care. Well, I mean, uh, I might, storytelling yeah. is storytelling though. I mean, if maybe yeah. it's, maybe it's just, you'd have, need to have the right script or the, or you write a script that you're like, oh, now I want to tell the story the way, the way I envision it to be, to be, right. it seems very similar to dungeon mastering, but maybe that's just the improv nature is more what you love. Maybe. I think so. I like that. And, but then again, you know, even through Relics, there were moments where, you know, I was drawing upon my old Aristotelian arc, you know, the thing we all learn about. And so like there's one episode, Kevin's end of Kevin's episode, where I wanted to introduce them to one of the really terrible bad guys. Um, and they had a fairly easy go of it, especially because one of the other bad guys, they kind of skirted her. Uh, they'd found a way to kind of bluff their way around and they never fought her. So I had placed, I don't know if this is spoiling too much, but I had placed zombies all like littering the hallway outside of the lair where I knew she was going to show up. And I made them minions, 4E minions, which basically means one hit, they're down, they're gone. Yeah. And the idea was to give them a false sense of security because they knew the form of this. They knew we were nearing the end of our 
two and a half hours and that this was going to be their fight. They hadn't fought yet. So there's Tommy using all his superiority die on minions. There's <laughs> Kevin using fireballs to kill one HP minions. And they're loving it. They think they're like, God, <laughs> like <laughs> loving it. And then other people are working on the code and it's really hard to get in this room. They're like, this is it. Like the treasure is going to be in here. And they get in and they find their stuff. And little do they know, all of them are in a tiny box with a grate above and she shows up. <gasps> and she is impossible to kill at the moment where they are the way that it is and it was devastating it was actually devastating and I you know I really intentionally wanted them to be in a place where they were brought to their highest point and used up their stuff and thought you know and then find and then be knocked down a peg and then of course I wanted them to be mad at her because I wanted them to have that kind of motivation to really be smart when they went after her because mm. they know that she's stronger than them. The only way they're going to beat her is if they have a plan and information and a strategy. Um, that's another thing I like to do. I like to hit people with stuff that, that they can't just fight. That if it's just you hit and I hit and you hit and I hit, they're never going to make it. They're going to lose HP far faster than the villain will because I want them to think. I want them to have a plan. I want them to have an item. I want to have something that will creatively allow them to get the edge. Um, that's more interesting to me, one because of the stakes. Um, so yeah, it ended up being a really, a, a really kind of devastating and amazing moment in the show, and it happened to be the penultimate episode. And then they go in and they fight these baddies, and now they're motivated to do it. Nice. And then hopefully, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I know you're still probably writing the story that is going to be this yes. one shot at uh, D&D Live. Um but uh, yeah, I'm excited to see wh- where you want to place it. If it's going to be a prelude yeah. or a, a sequel or you know a bridge well, to something else. It's interesting. So we don't have a second season pickup for Relics and Rarities. I have no idea if we will or if this will just be this special thing that we did once. But regardless, I have written a second season. Of- <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> You're like, I, I got mean, one, ready to go. It's outlined. It's like I know, I know the, I know the structure of it. I know generally kind of what the main quest lines are going to be. Um, so whatever I do run, you know, this month, I I would want to make sure that continuity wise, it'll work with what I have planned in case we get to do it. Although frankly, even if we don't get picked up, I'm going to run it at home with my friends anyways. (laughs) You're like, you guys get to get a sneak peek of uh, R&R too. (laughs) So yes, I have a little, I have an idea. Uh, we'll see. I have to decide if I think it's exciting enough for a little quick one shot. And especially since some people who haven't seen the show, this might be their first exposure to it. So I want something that feels like they can engage, even if they don't know the surrounding story and then go back and join us maybe. Yeah. So I don't know. I have to it's hard. It. Yeah. Right. You want to give a taste of the yeah. gack without, uh, without <laughs> giving away all the, the gack. Yeah. <laughs> full gack. You want the full gack. You got to <laughs> come back. Oh man. That's why you're a brand manager. <laughs> write that down. Write that down. That's 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 marketing gold right there. So when you're when you're writing your stories, how much of it are you or your adventures? How much are you actually writing? It sounds like maybe a little more than an outline, but is it like a full on? Um, I always write the yeah an outline pretty much. I mean, I, I've written the structure of it because that's sort of important, and especially again, this is where I think. RPG entertainment is different than RPG at home. Yeah. If I were running a homebrew game, I would have a really rough 
outline of where this is going. And then I'd only really have specifics for what we're playing tonight. And then based on where they end and the things they were interested in, then I would flesh out where they're going. Because this is a show and I knew we kind of had to wrap up each place, um, it's, a, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit more railroady. Um, but because of that, what I wanted to make sure is that within, like, you're always going to go, you're going to Bentham Manor, whether you want to or not, you're going to the manor, you're going to figure out what's happening. But while you're there, there are 10 different places you can explore. There are 10 different ways you can solve this problem. You can get clues to solve the problem. Um, and so within the manor, there is complete freedom. Um, and that's really what was important to me. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna make you go places that I tell you to go, uh, you can solve this quest and go anywhere you want. Bellbrook is a completely open arena; they can go wherever they want. I have a couple of places that are mapped out that are important to the story, but like they went to Tiefling Traders. Obviously, <laughs> Kevin Smith made that up. Uh, that wasn't written. So you got to go there. You got to go. Go there, and that's what happens. Uh, so yeah, it, they're rough outlines. Um, I don't like to use a screen. So I just have a few notes really to remind me of a couple of key things. Other than that, I wrote it. So I kind of know it. Um, yeah, it's pretty rough. That's interesting. I mean, I like, I, uh, it's very similar to the, the, to the, to, to my approach to dungeon mastering where yeah. I'll, I'll like have like a idea, very little notes and just kind of wing it. Of course, I'm usually going from published adventures that D and D has. And I've been, Working sure. on those and feeling them out, and same. I didn't write them, but I definitely have like oh a, a, a connection with them. So it never really feels like I need to uh, uh, have like even what's going to happen on each individual moment. And yeah. and if someone's like, hey, we're going to go into the sewers, I'm like, all right, I'll come up with some encounters that you get into the sewers. And why are you going there again? I, okay, you're just going to get some some poop out, <laughs> poop on your clothes. Um, but I think what Shelly's really asking is is how can she start dungeon mastering? No, <gasps> too scared. No, Although you are very inspiring. Well, but. thank you. You should really do it. I actually, I really, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's all I can say, but I mean, you really should. It's so much more, um, it, it's easier than you think it would be because it's just you and, and it's just whatever you think is cool. I mean, all of the, the episodes <laughs> are, yeah, but all the episodes in R&R just came off of things that I like, you know, like I like the exorcist. So Bentham Manor is a ghosty possession story and I like Indiana Jones. So, there's a, you know, there's an Egyptian tomb, a Kekatesh tomb. And, you know, so I don't know. I just pick things that I liked because I knew I would have lots to say and lots of things to put in there. And so it's really much easier because you don't, I think, I think it would be much harder for me at least to write a campaign set in the Forbidden Realms where you have to know all of that history. Yeah. And you have to, that's really hard. And I really admire <laughs> the DMs who aren't at Wizards of the Coast and who haven't, written this all already who learn all of that who read the history books that come out and figure that all out because I that's such a, a a complex world to write in um if you're homebrewing it you can make it up and then it gets to be real I think the key for me would definitely be new players yeah because they don't know they don't 100%. know what I don't know so totally it's and just the key is just to let them have fun. You can make it like the Real Housewives of Bachelor. Um, <laughs> and just play the that. The Real Housewives of Bachelor That's Nation. A brilliant idea. Yeah. The whole thing takes place in this mansion. Yes. There's going to be some tables. They might harpies. be flipped at some point. For sure. For bad. harpies. <laughs> <laughs> a house for harpies. See? You got the enemies oh already. And they Are all have like a common goal. The treasure is going to oh be some God. dude. Can I please play this game? Yes. <laughs> 
can you write this and run this? And I actually, I actually might. I might start taking <laughs> some notes on this. I would just think I, I think Christina I have an outline Ariel in has to my help me, though, yeah, because this would be right up her alley. Oh, Let's I do think it. That's we so keep fun. threatening to do a Real Housewives adventure. Let's it do might it. have to happen. All right. Well, that's it. We're doing it on 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 the Twitch channel. You're all invited. Okay. Ryan and Pelham included. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'm so excited for D&D Live. We're going to see you. Uh, uh, gosh, it's only two weeks away. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm my gosh. Write, like, as soon as we get off now. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. I, like, I might, too. A couple of puzzles. But for and different then reasons. Play testing, puzzle, I always like to play test puzzles because you don't want people to feel dumb. Yeah. So I want to make sure they're, like, just hard enough but not so hard. And, you know. Yeah, well, yeah that was something we had to do for the, for the stream of many eyes where it was like, yeah. all right, we want it to be hard, but we can't let it be easy not, not either unsolvable. yeah Alyssa Teague did a wonderful job uh, writing those puzzles so that they nice. happen at right at the right time but it's right playtesting is key yeah um, so uh, for folks who uh, are interested in finding about relics and rarities where, where can they go to now to watch those episodes so if you're a subscriber to Geek and Sundry Twitch the entire series is up there for VOD you can watch from start to finish um, and then on Geek and Sundry's channel on YouTube we are through the end of the fifth episode so two more weeks to release you know, next week will be the first part of this last episode, and then two weeks will be the second part of the last episode. But yeah, everything is available there, as well as all these really cool little reflection, uh, relic reflections, where I talk to the guest uh, actors about oh, that's cool. their experience playing D anD. I love those. That I love the idea. the idea of a of a talk back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. Well, even so, like uh, we had Simone Missick come on for our big finale, uh, who was on uh, Luke Cage. Um, and something, you know, a really big thing happened right before her game. And she did her interview before her uh, episode. So when first thing we sit down, I'm like, so how are you feeling? <laughs> you know, Now that you see that there are stakes and consequences and here we go. Uh, and it was really interesting for her to be like her first experience with it was this very dramatic moment. That is super cool. Um, yeah. So uh, where can people find out about, uh, about you personally and what you're doing as well? Oh, um, I'm on all the social media stuff myself, and then a webmaster is what we call them, uh, who helps me run it because I'm not I'm not very good at social media. I've been pretty good about it with relics though because I'm so <laughs> excited about it. I'm like, oh great, yeah, I'll promote whatever you want me to do. Yeah. Uh, so they you know they help me out. We do a lot of auctions uh, for the Foundation Fighting Blindness and the Cordyrumi Research Foundation. Those are um, a cause that's very near and dear to me. So we do a lot of stuff. We sell Daredevil items and Punisher and True Blood and some D&D stuff will be popping up soon, too. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and that's your, your, your partner, yeah. uh, EJ, right? EJ Scott? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, that's fantastic. And I mean, we didn't even get to talk about that, but there's, there's, there's a, uh, uh, a portion of what we, I've been trying to be excited about is making D&D more accessible to people who have uh, uh, yes. you know, vision impairments and, and hearing impaired and all that type of stuff. What was incredible last year, I think Nathan showed me that there are um, uh, uh, Braille dice now, which is so exciting and great. And I actually, each and I were talking and I was thinking it would be really fun to try and run an adventure where all of the descriptions are extrasensory. So without using visual description. So when they walk into a stable saying you smell the hay and the manure and you hear the neigh and the rustle of some of a horse's tail and like really leaning into those senses and creating that the world out of that rather than relying so much on saying you enter a stable, there's hay on the floor right. and feeling is 20 feet high, you know, um, instead of saying there's an echo in the space, you feel that it's large, you know, like trying to kind of give it a a different flavor so maybe i'll write something like that someday. it's yeah I, I played a character on a, on a live stream here on this channel where i, I was bl- the character was blind 
And mm. every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, what do I see? And then everyone would be like, you don't see anything? I'm like, oh, great. No, I mean, <laughs> what, what, do I, what, what do I perceive? What, what happens? And it's, it's so interesting to have to kind of, yeah. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about D&D is you could put yourself in shoes that you don't normally fill and, and experience that. And uh, uh, it, was, it was really yeah. enlightening. And we worked with a great um, uh, uh, visually impaired D&D player, Blind Temple, and, and found mm-hmm. out all uh, of those things. And he was, he was wonderful. But it was a wonderful, it was a great experience. And I'm hoping to, yeah, yeah. to do that more going forward. Yeah, no, it's been impressive. In, yeah, it's been impressive in the published materials as well. The again, the more diversity and kind of you know, I, I've I've been enjoying that uh, a lot more experiences are being included. It's just a really, it's a good time to be in role playing games right now. For sure, and we're glad that you're you're a big part of it. And in two weeks, it's going to be an even better time to be in role playing games. <laughs> It will indeed. Now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> Me too. Yeah? Yeah. I'm not. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> uh, well, thanks a lot for, for calling in, uh, Deb. It's always uh, wonderful you. to speak to you. Uh, you are inspiring, and uh, uh, it's wonderful, and I can't wait. You for guys it. as well. And, like, and thank you for having me on today, and like, thank you for being so welcoming in this community. You know, I, I think, like I said, I was really nervous about exposing the side of myself, and it's been nothing but positive reinforcement and and uh, and support. So I'm, yeah, thank you. It's a good community. Thank you for sure. It is always great uh, talking to amazingly creative people uh, about dungeon mastering. We've I got feel a lot like, of them. I feel like you've learned a lot. I'm inspired. Are you going to go do it? Yeah. Let's roll for initiative. Okay. Wait, that, that, you have to pronounce, you have to, you know, practice saying that. You do it. All right, everyone. Roll for initiative. That song comes up all the time in our household. Yeah? Yeah. Which song was that? Whenever Quinn does something super exciting or we want to get him to do something, and we always do the... Come on. You, yeah. you went to clubs in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a clapping and like a, hey. Yes. 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 What I, is that song? It was less about the clubs. That was more about the uh, 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 athletic uh, oh, the complexes, events sporting stuff, yeah. events would Maybe use those things. Right. Yeah. Those are two things I don't do very often. <laughs> Go to clubs and yeah. sporting events? Yeah. Sometimes you do them at the same time. True. Yeah, but not, not me. Either. When I dance for sport. <laughs> when I dance competitive, for you. Competitive. Competitive Competitive sport dancing? Yes. You all ready for this? Burn. Yes. Yeah, I do that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way to get kids hyped up to it, change their clothes. Yes. Or it's time to brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. Let's practice sight words. Let's get dun, ready to rumble. Yep. And yeah. then he'll actually like, do it. Yeah, exactly. So that's what you have to do when you're a dungeon master, getting people excited for combat. You need a good 90s club song. <laughs> that's what everyone says. That's the secret. That's the secret of dungeon mastering that yep. we've learned uh, from Deborah Ann Wall. I can't wait to see her uh, again at uh, Line 204 Studios for D&D Live. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, her entire cast is great, uh, and it's going to be rocking it out of the park. Can't wait. We will be doing uh, this. We're going to be doing Dungeon Dragon Talk live with lots of coffee because it's in the morning when we're doing our stuff. It is going to be crazy. I was just telling Ryan how much cream I had to bring to you when I would bring you your coffee at GaryCon. Yes, it's true. Um, He also said, oh, you like some cream with your coffee? And I'm like, it's really like that Beastie Boys lyric from uh, Intergalactic. Which is, I like my sugar with coffee and cream. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. this is sweet and light. Your coffee, if your coffee was a Def Leppard song, it would say, 
Pour some sugar on me. Yeah, not pour Come salt on. into the wounds. I'm going for it. No, no, no clapping for that one. Come on, people. It's that amazing. Good. It's good stuff. That's good stuff. How can people get in touch with you, Shelly, about all of the fun things that you're doing and the announcements you're going to be doing at D&D Live? I think after that awesome Def Leppard reference, they're going to want to get in touch with me. That's right. Find me on Twitter at Shelly Moo or Facebook at Shelly Mazanoble Writer. Writer. Don't go to the other one. Nice. So like, I don't really even like, use like, that. Like Ghost Writer or... Like riding a motorcycle rider? Writer. Writer. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that would be so much cooler, though. If you were like, writer. Yeah, dragon rider. With like a Y. Like y. You're, Maybe I'll change it. Uh, you can on Facebook. That's the amazing thing about you it. You can do anything. So, yeah. You There's are, good stuff there, though. I find amazing content and put it there. Nice. Yeah. I'm very content with your content. Uh, you can also go to Avalon Hill uh, Games on Facebook. Nice. Or Avalon Hill 2, the number 2, on Twitter. I also like the number two. It's something I do every day. <laughs> <laughs> With all that coffee you're drinking. <laughs> exactly. It goes right through me. Uh, I am at Greg Tito on the Twitters. You can find me on Instagrams at uh, Greg underscore Tito. Uh, I haven't been posting as much very recently, but I'll be doing more when we're at D&D Live because those yes. are Instagrammable moments, Insta-worthy. as they say in the biz. Can you, can you do an Insta story? I will. Oh, yeah. I should get more into stories. It means something I ignore. Okay. Basically, what that means. But a lot of other people like it. Do you say who are younger than we are? A lot of you have asked me about my skincare routine lately. Oh yeah. So I use because you're an Instagram influencer. It's right? true. So I use um, tap water that comes from the shower, and I rub it into my face, and then it gets dry for a while. But then it flakes off usually by about ten thirty, and I'm good to go. <laughs> I have to do this a lot to my shirt. <laughs> See, this is the type of Instagram content people want. Right? I am. If you're not following Greg Tito, you're gonna need to start. That's amazing. Because that's the routine that everyone out there needs to follow. Uh, all right. So, if you want to find out about Dungeons and Dragons, there are many ways to do that. Uh, we do not do uh, makeup uh, tips, but we should for cosplay. Oh, come no, on, we really should. Sateen and Kate Welch could. Right. Oh, I really want them uh, to do this. I show. can't wait for the the makeup effects that are going to be uh, on display at D and D Live. I can't Those wait for someone professional cool. to do my makeup. Yeah, Misty Dawn. She's going to do there and make it happen. She did all the amazing stencil work you saw at the stream of many eyes, like when uh, uh, Ivan Van Norman had his uh, yes uh, uh, eye makeup that was all like that, and then Nathan had like a star on his face and like all that stuff. Like looked really really cool. So we're going to do some stuff like that for D and D Live. Maybe we should do that for Dragon Talk. Yes, where we have like you know. Maybe I'll get like my face on your face and your face on my face. Okay, that's now. Oh, oh, that would be so cool. It's like a John Woo movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm John Travolta and you're Nick Cage. Um, so yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. You can find out about that on at DungeonsandDragons.com. There's also a new issue of Dragon Plus out there. It details all uh, the things that are coming out in the you know relatively near future, including Ghosts of Salt Marsh, which is out on May 21st. And Acquisitions Incorporated, the D&D Sourcebook, uh, which is everywhere on June 18th. Um, we are excited about all those things. We're going to be talking about those products, uh, as well as handing out copies of Ghosts of Salt Marsh to people with their swag bags what? at D&D Live. People will get a bag. There's going to be 25 items in this bag, which is a lot of Are items. serious? Yeah, individual items from all of our partners, all of our vendors, including Beetle and Grimm's, uh, Pandemonium Warehouse, Death Saves. I'm wearing a Death Saves shirt right now, thanks to Joe. 
Um, and, uh, you know, WizKids, Gale Force 9, um, the uh, awesome Ludia mobile game that's coming out, Warriors of Waterdeep, um, Dungeon Masters Guild. What? Uh, I know, I'm, I'm blanking on There's so many other amazing vendors. They're all going to be there and giving away fun, that's fun awesome. stuff as well as selling wonderful D&D merch you can't get anywhere else at that event. I can't stop talking about that. I was, I'm like, there's more things I it's didn't talk all about. all that you can think of. <sighs> it's amazing. So follow all of us. Again, all of that stuff is going on at uh, dnd.wizards.com slash dndlive2019. Follow the hashtag dndlive2019 for stuff. Yes. Um, and I think, I think this is done. I think we're going to close this out. Let's do it. Is there any way that we can use these Young Adventurer's Guide books to prop up these rocks so that they don't fall on us? Every single oh, day, totally. they're, every they're, single they're week, they fall on us. Books. Books. Yes. Let's try that. Okay. Let me just move them over. We're going to put them in this kind of situation Just don't tip the... uh, Don't... Ow! Okay, ow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) They're falling. Ah! Oh, rocks fall everywhere.